Today we're going to be in Matthew 12, so if you could please turn with me to Matthew 12, starting in verse 30. We're only going to do seven verses. Now I say we're only going to do seven verses, but I still have a lot to talk about. So um, let's dig into it. So the first slide, Stuart, when you're ready. In review, uh, last week we talked about Jesus and his ministry and how uh, the Pharisees wanted to kind of pick fights with him. And they even, they were so jealous, so envious of him, they wanted to see him die. They wanted him to put him to death, as the scriptures say verbatim. Uh, but Jesus had no time for quarreling. He knew what his mission was. He knew what he had to do. And, and, and to have public debates, that wasn't in the agenda for Jesus' mission. He had much more important things to do. No time for quarreling, so he moved on. But, of course, the Pharisees, they, they, they plotted to kill Jesus. And we saw that already in Matthew 12, uh, verses 14 16. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. But Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. That's cool. Now, I always talk about there's various reasons why people follow Jesus. Some follow him because he's an exciting guy to watch. Ooh, what's going to happen next? Ooh, now the Pharisees. So you got the proper soap opera drama aspect of him, you know. Ooh, what's he going to do that's going to entertain me, you know. And those were the ones like the would-be disciple who said, Oh, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he says, Are you willing to give up everything to follow me? And he kind of disappeared. Okay, so we have a mix. We'll call that the multitude, if you will. Like, Jesus, don't forget, he fed four or 5,000 people. You know, one of the, I mean, I mean, that's a massive miracle. I mean, that right there is just, what? But yet still, people disappeared, and he was left with 12. Why? Isn't seeing believing? Well, maybe not. Maybe these human hearts are just so, are just so, messed up that seeing isn't believing. Maybe it takes a lot more. Maybe it takes a touch from God and the Spirit. But regardless, here's a multitude. Here's a huge group of people with Jesus, and they're watching, they're seeing, they're taking on the evidences as we've seen. These miracles are evidences. Um, and of course, accusations come. Well, he's doing this because Satan's given him the power to do it, you know. And then we saw it in Matthew 12, 24. It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And of course, Jesus dealt with why that's not the case. Uh, and then in his justification, he brought an interesting, um, you know, theme up uh, about the kingdom. And we know Jesus is, he's here to, to bring about God's kingdom, to instruct God's kingdom. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he goes and preaches the beautiful Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about the blessings of God's kingdom and the way things are, which is just so much more spiritual than the way how things have become in his time. So he's there to instruct us on the kingdom. But a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand or is ruined. And so Jesus wants to make sure that what he has, the disciples, the followers, the soldiers and soldierettes, if you will, we're all behind him. We know what the game plan is. We know what the, what the, what the orders are. So we need to be together and united because a kingdom divided against itself is ruined. And that is kind of a shame if you think about it. If you took that as the, the universal church's motto, which anything that comes from Jesus' mouth could be a motto, really, really, right? But the church, if you look at the history, 
especially in the last two, three hundred years, it's symbolic, nothing but division. And, that's, and that is really quite sad. Especially when you look at these kingdom of divided. And I think, and I say, and I think many good churches would agree with this, is how are we to be united then? We're united behind Jesus Christ, what he says and what he does. But we ought to take the word of God seriously and say this is the word of God. These are some basic principles. And if we can say that, what the Bible says is true. It's the word of God. It's God breathed. If we can agree on that, then there shouldn't be division because we're all reading from the same rule book, right? Unfortunately, though, some churches, in the, you know, and some divisions happen, you know, within the churches because of usually small things. And that's a bit unfortunate. Next one. But now we're going to move on. Speaking of churches, what we ought to do is we ought to serve God. We ought to serve God. If it's about God's kingdom and building God's kingdom and Jesus is interested in giving us instructions on how to be kingdom citizens and, and to be, uh, you know, responsible citizens. You know, not to be lazy, but to be responsible, to do our job, to, do, to take our responsibility as kingdom citizens seriously. Then, you know, we need to ask who are we going to serve? Are we serving ourselves? False gods, false idols, you know, false philosophies and you know, flesh, worldliness, so on and so forth. No, we're to follow God. And to follow God, to serve God, we follow Jesus and serve Jesus. And we stake close to him. So in our text, Matthew 12, 30, 32, it says in the NIV, I'm back to NIV. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Not a very politically correct statement here. If you're not with me, you're against me. Because I think, I mean, I've met, oh, not millions, that's a, that's a huge exaggeration, but a lot of people in my life, even good friends of mine, who will say, ah, Jesus, man, he's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally a Christian. Don't go to church, don't know anything about him, not interested in him, not interested in worshiping him, not interested in fellowship, but yeah, Jesus is great. I'm sure when I see the big man up in heaven, you know, he's gonna be like, all right, Bogus. That's just so, that goes against. And, 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 to, and oh, let me share a verse with you, by the way. Matthew 12 30 says, Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Um, uh, you know, and I think in this pluralistic society, we want to take a little bit. It's like a buffet of religion or a buffet of world um, views. You know, I'll have a little Buddha, I'll have a little bit of Confucius, and, or is it confusion? I can't remember. A little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know. But he says, you got to get on board with what I'm doing. You need to know what I'm doing. And what I teach and what I say is reality. Do you believe it? Or do you want to go somewhere else? Is your itching ears, your interest taking you other places? So Jesus is on a mission. He's looking for servants, disciples, people who trust him and will follow him faithfully. Again, faithfully. Faith means total trust. And he says, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Okay, like John the Baptist, he had some doubt, you know? We, we, we sin, we make mistakes. Sin is errors. It's like, it's like the miss the mark, okay? It, it's something that you can, tr you can try hard not to sin, but you still might sin because it's, it's a mistake, it's an error. Slander. Uh, the word slander, I've, it looks like I've got defined here. Um, yeah, it's, it's where you the word blasphemy from, blasphemio. Slander, um, detractions, speech, um, injurious to another's good name, um, or impious and reproachful, speech injurious to divine majesty. So it's words that, you know, maybe unintentionally, I don't know, maybe intentionally, maybe a little bit of both, but it, it, it damages another person's good name. 
it, it, it damages their honor and the, and, the, and the respect due to this, this person. Specifically, for a divine, so we're speaking of God specifically, we're talking about blasphemy. But it could, in this context, in the word loosely used, can't talk about how you treat another person as well. So again, you sin, you make mistakes, you say things that are false about another person, specifically about Jesus, or even about God, maybe because you're ignorant, maybe you just don't know, you haven't learned. You just, I'm ignorant. There's a lot of things I don't know. I'm still learning. We're all learning. So I say dumb things sometimes because I'm still learning. That's why I need God's word. And aren't you glad that when I go to learn to teach Bible study that I go to the God's word and not to something else that might be totally wrong. So it's safety in God's word. I know that when I teach God's word, it's safe because we're getting, and again, this is something that should unite all Christians. God's word, it's truth, it's safety. It's, it's his military charges. Here, it's his rule book. It's his kingdom living guide, if you will. So I might make mistakes, though, outside of this. Maybe when it comes to music and my studies and philosophy, I might make a lot of mistakes with those. But you know what? Sin usually refers to ethical and moral things, though, however. So I might make mistakes morally or ethically. Like not treat my wife so well, you know. Uh, maybe shout out the kids when I'm frustrated. Okay, that's, that, 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 that's a little bit more serious. That's a little more ethical and moral of a mistake. Those things can be forgiven. Uh, saying things that are silly and wrong and that can embarrass myself or embarrass people, those things too can be forgiven. But blasphemy, you know, again, these, 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 this dangerous language against the spirit cannot be forgiven. It is one thing to be wrong about someone or something, but the outright refusal to listen to God when he speaks, this is dangerous stuff right here. And that is what he's talking about, this blasphemy against the spirit. When the, what, 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 what he's talking about here is this, look at what I'm doing and look what's, what's happening. Like I mentioned, the, the miracles, like the feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, you know, all, all the healings, everything. People are looking and people are watching. And when they reject the evidence, this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's like saying, nah, that, like, like the Pharisees, for instance, nah, that's not from God, that's from Beelzebub. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about, you see the evidence, you see God in your life, you see God doing something in your life, you, God's revealed himself to you, but you refuse him. That is blasphemy. That's saying, nah, that's not God. Nah, that's not a spirit. I refuse that. That's a blasphemy of spirit, and that cannot be forgiven. Why? Because it displays total lack of faith, total lack of, total trust in God. And we know through scriptures that we're saved by, by grace through our faith, our total trust in him. Okay, so in continuing on, it says anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Okay, even if you say things that are wrong about Jesus, and at the time there's a lot of ideas about Jesus. What is this Jesus guy? What's he doing? What's he all on about? Is he, like John the Baptist, for instance, is he the, is he the Messiah or not? He said that. Remember, he sent his disciples. Are you the one that we're to expect or not? Are you not him? Are you, are you not the one, the anointed one or not? What's up? And Jesus said to him, what? If you remember, look at what's been done and remember the prophecies, which is what we should do. Look at the prophecies, look what God said would happen, and look at what is actually happening. This is evidence. And, of course, the assumption is that, that John got the message and said, Yes, he is the Messiah. But it's okay to have questions and doubts, right? About certain specific things. And Jesus says, even about me, I'm cool with it. But when you see the evidence, please do not reject the evidence. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will, be, will not be forgiven. 
either in this age or in the age to come. Again, stubborn refusal of the evidence being provided by, by, by God. Uh, I put some other definitions in there. Just briefly, I'll talk about scatters. You know, he says, again, if you're not with me, you're against me. And if you're not with them, you scatter. I like the idea of the word scatter. It, it speaks of being routed out by terror, you know, terror-stricken or driven out by some other impulses to fly in every direction. Uh, and again, people refuse to draw near to Jesus will eventually walk away from him. That's, that's what I get from this when I look at the definition, you know. If, if you're not going to draw near to him, you're eventually going to walk away because of various distractions. Fear, um, what are my friends going to think about me following Jesus? Why, what, you know, what's going you know, to be of me? What am I going to miss out on in life if I try to live a holy life and, and God's fake, and, but you, you know, he's just a big lie, but I miss out on all the fun pleasures of sin and whatever, you know, uh, whatever. Boredom, uh, not interested. You're just going to boring. Bible says kind of boring. And, and of course, other distractions that we hear all the time. Oh, work, sports, family, etc. Um, things, if you know, you've got to get close to him. And that's why he is the Lord of the Sabbath, which means he is the way we get to know God. Get close to him. Next slide, please. So continue on. Who will you serve? This reminds me a lot of this beautiful verse that we find in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. This again is, is Joshua. He was like the, he, he was, um, he, he basically took over for, for Moses. Moses, how he lot, led the people out of Egypt, right? And brought them into the promised land. Moses didn't quite get into the promised land. He got close to it. But Joshua, you know, he, he was the one who took over for Moses and brought the people into the promised land. Uh, and as they were getting ready to go into the promised land, um, he kind of makes a speech. And this is included into the speech. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Fear the Lord, respect him, honor him, turn to him, recognize, serve him with all faithfulness. Just do it with all your heart, mind, soul, love that get into, again, when I told, I spoke to the, the Sunday school people yesterday when they were having their, um, their, their meeting, and, and I just said, you know, do what you do unto the Lord. Just love it, embrace it, get into it, and just, just do it with all faithfulness because it is the most important thing in your life. I'm sorry, but it is. You might think that your children, husbands, and your wives are, but no. Serving God is the most important thing in your life. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that's just a fact. That's what he's saying here. Fear of the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. And, and, and just love the fruit. Love the fruit. The fruit might be a good married life. The fruit might be wonderful children for yourself. And, and seeing other children from other parents get to know Jesus and get to grow in grace and loving God and, and get, enjoy the benefits of knowing God. And that's great. But you've got to put the first thing first. Serve God. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Again, in the past, they picked up a lot of bad habits. Like in Egypt. Egypt they served a lot of many gods, a lot of pagan gods. And Israel picked up a lot of the cultural bad habits. And it's cultural bad habits. It's the way they did things. And sometimes the way that they do things around us can be very distracting and kind of distracting. It could be things that are like gods, that take our interest, our trust, our desire for God away from us. But we need to throw those things out. You've got to identify them. That's a distraction. That's an idol. Get rid of it. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, I like this. This is an interesting verse. To me, it's just totally ridiculous. 
Oh, but if it seems unreasonable to serve the Lord, what? Who would actually turn around and say, oh, it's unreasonable to serve the true God. I'm going to go serve a false God. That sounds much more interesting to me. What? That's ridiculous. But, but he gives us an option. Isn't that cool? But if you don't want to serve God, that's fine. You don't have to serve God. I think it's crazy. That's what he's going to say at the very end, by the way. We'll save that for the end. Don't look at it. But he says, if you don't want to serve God, you don't have to. But choose who you're going to serve today. Because as people, we have to choose something. We have to serve something. It's going to be uh, maybe relationships, maybe some hobby, maybe some kind of uh, media, entertainment, uh, uh, maybe a career path, maybe... Um, uh, sports, like I said, you know, whatever. Uh, maybe it's, it, 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 we, we, we have to worship something, even if it's ourselves and our own laziness. We worship something, something that gets our attention, you know. But whatever it is you want to serve, serve it. On you go. Choose and choose it well. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the new gods that you're going to encounter in the new land, the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. So, yeah, you got some in the pack in the past. And you can get rid of them. And that's what I put in this little notes on the right here. You know, if you can get rid of those bits of worldliness. And I put that Egypt is a type of worldliness. A lot of commentators always, you know, attribute Egypt to like the old way. And we need to kind of turn away from the old way. But now is the time to change. And when we don't replace those old gods, those old distractions with the real God, the living God, the new gods will eventually come about and cause us new distractions. And that's what I see here. You know, if you don't want to serve the living God, the real God, then you can serve those old gods. But if you turn your back against them, you're going to find some new gods when you get into the new land. You know, the gods, the Amorites. So, and I, I like to put this little cheesy slogan. No matter where you are, there you are. I was going to put no matter where you are, there you go. That sounds better to me, but I guess this is how it goes. No matter where you go, there you are. And the reality is you've got to change your heart. You gotta change your heart. You can get rid of whatever the sin is, whatever the temptations are now. And like Jesus is gonna talk about later on, about like how when you empty your yourself of maybe spiritual baggage, if you don't fill it with good things, more spiritual baggage will come. He's gonna deal with that later. We're going to, we'll, so we'll pick up on that maybe next week or the week after. So we, and that's what this Bible study is gonna really be about: changing the heart, not just changing the words, not just changing the actions in the flesh but changing the heart. So it starts with who you're going to serve, who you're going to put your mind into. And of course, Joshua says this, as bold and as brave as he can be, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Of course, that's the only logical thing to say. Who else are you going to serve? you got to serve the Lord. Make a stand, make a plan, and just do it. And don't be complacent. I like that word complacent. I like it because I don't like it. It's a lame word. But it's, it's appropriate for, the, for what I'm trying to say here and what I think Josh is trying to say here. I don't usually define words that I use in my notes. I usually define the biblical words, but I went to dictionary.com to define complacent. Pleased, especially with oneself or one's merits or advantages, situations, etc., often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. Ah, things all right. Don't need change. It's as is as it is, you know. Live and let live, you know, whatever. It's cool. Don't worry about it. That's complacency. But he says, no, 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 none of that. I'm going to have purpose, I'm going to have vision, I'm going to have direction, and I'm going to serve the Lord, me and my home, and we're going to do it. And we're going to do it well. So, again, who you are and what you do. 
Matthew 12, this is our text. And by the way, I've got a lot of referencing in here. So verses that are put up that are normal, that's our text for today. If we see it italicized, that means I'm referring to different parts of the scriptures. So, so Matthew 12, 33 to 34, that's today's text. Jesus goes on and says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You barata vipers. Now he's not talking to you guys, I hope. He's talking to the Pharisees who are winding him up and trying to challenge him. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Basically what he's saying here is, you diagnose a tree, whether it's healthy or whether it's sickly, by the kind of fruit it produces. You can't really see inside of the, you know, the, the, the actual like, trunk of the tree. You might be able to see the outside of it, see the health of the bark possibly. But they say that the health of the tree is actually um, is, is found in the roots. So again, it's underground. So unless you dig it up, which seems a bit silly, you know, still, you, you, won't, you won't get a full diagnosis. You would get a better diagnosis by looking at the quality of the fruit. It's easy to get. It's right there. And if it's good, healthy fruit, it's good, healthy roots. Don't need to dig it up and look at it. If it's dodgy fruit, maybe it's not producing much fruit. Maybe the fruit it produces is undersized. Maybe it's just color, whatever. That's a diagnosis. Same thing with people in their spiritual well-being. So I put this little diagram on the bottom here. You got visible attributes, which points to invisible attributes. By invisible, I mean it's unseeable, not that it's translucent or whatever. Okay, so the visible attributes. We got a tree on the top line and a little person waving at us on the bottom line. The tree. How do you know the, the health of the tree? By the quality of fruit. The quality of fruit points to the health of the tree. That's what Jesus is illustrating. This is Jesus speaking here. I'm just illustrating it in a fancy way or a fun way, I guess. I think it's more fun than fancy. So a person, the quality of words, this is what Jesus said. Now it was not just words, as we're gonna see as we develop this, this Bible studies message, words is a big part of it, a very big part of it. The quality of words used points to the health of the heart. So we think, what kind of words we use, and maybe we feel a bit convicted, maybe a bit, a bit challenged, and that's all right, because all it tells us is we got some work to do. You know, we need to re-examine where we are. Yeah, next one, please. Uh, and again, what Jesus is saying here, this is a recurring motif with the Pharisees. They were challenged, and the danger of being challenged with verses like this and principles like this is you need to change. You need to change, because this has already been said to the Pharisees earlier when they were with the Sadducees by John the baptizer. And it says in Matthew 3, 7 to 10, but when, when he, John the baptizer, speaking of here again, saw many of the Pharisees Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brought a vipers. Who, same language as Jesus saying, what's this brought a viper business all about? Both John says it, Jesus is saying it. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Okay, there's a wrath. There's a, there's a coming judgment. You know, the, the Lord is going to return. And so he says, here's what you need to do. Here's, here's, here's how I'm, I'm going to help you brothers. You need to go out there and learn how to produce fruit. Now, we're going to learn very shortly here. It's not about just doing things in the flesh. It's about turning to God and trusting in the Spirit to change us and work in us. 
But basically, that's what we need to do, ultimately, is produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Change. Okay, change of attitude, change of mind, change of lifestyle, change of ways. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. Now, again, what is this business about brutal vipers? Um, John Piper, a Bible teacher, um, he comments about this verse. And I like what he says because it points to what we're talking about here with fruit. We've got healthy fruit, and we've got rotten fruit. And we could tell the, the, the heart of a man by his actions, words, deeds, whatever. It's like the fruit of a tree. We can tell the health of the, the tree by its fruit, whether it be rotten or healthy. John Piper says about this idea of barota vipers or brood of vipers, he very bluntly tells the whole crowd that they are in a rotten condition. You are a broad of vipers. What does that mean to Jewish schools in the Old Testament? In Genesis 3, Satan is pictured as a serpent or a viper. And God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. So when anybody says you were the seed or the broad of vipers, it was the same as saying you were the sons of the devil. So Jesus is blatantly called a servant of Satan by the Pharisees. Remember that? Oh, he does these things because of the Beelzebub, right? But his actions, his fruits are loving and they're kind and they're holy. They're good. It's goodness. Goodness comes from God. So the fruit actually would indicate that Jesus has goodness in his heart and he's like God. So there's something wrong here. Next slide, please. So here's basically what Jesus is saying. Actually, conversely, on the contrary, Jesus asks the Pharisees to do some self-reflection. I know you call me the servant of Beelzebub, but let's do some self-reflection by looking at fruit and diagnosing the heart. There, the Pharisees, words and actions, fruit, are not so loving, kind, and holy. They can be characterized as evil, as Jesus basically said. You're like, you're a brood of vipers. You're like, you're behaving like your father, the devil. And this would then indicate that the Pharisees were the actual servants of Satan. So he's kind of turning the tables on them, but the reality is, no, he's just stating a fact. You think that I am this, but the reality is you've got to do some self-reflection. Look at, look, look at, be honest with yourself. Be honest with the situation. And again, Jesus dealt with them again in John 8, 42, 44, and he basically had the same interaction with them at this point as well. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language, again, words, language, okay? You see the connection between words and language. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say, because Jesus speaks spiritually. He speaks from God with, with a holiness and a goodness. You belong to your father, the devil. Again, he's saying it again. Root of vipers, your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. So again, truth, words, language. Satan, father of lies. Jesus, only interested in good, only interested in the truth. And again, this is something I struggle with all the time. Especially with teenagers. <laughs> I have been telling them since day one. And I hate to say it, it is a cultural thing. It is a cultural sin. It's just, it's the soap opera mentality. It's just cover up. Don't be realistic. 
And I tell teenagers all the time, you're better off with us just telling us the truth. I'd rather hear you're messing up so I can pray for you than to lie to my face and then find out years from now that you're, you're playing me. That just makes me so mad. Please, if you're going to go out and sleep with someone, if you're going to go out and rob someone, if you're going to go out and just, well, if it's really, if it's a crime, I might have to call the police, sorry. But that said and done, I would rather know where you're messing up and where your temptations are and where you're struggling so I can pray for you. Don't come and lie to my face. That is the worst thing you can do. And not only that, but it, it's so unholy. It's so ungood. It's so ungodly. So as a, for a Christian, there should be absolutely no place in a Christian's life for, for the, the practice of the white lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Who's he talking about here? Satan. The native language of Satan is that of lies. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The term language, again, confirms that the mouth produces fruit stored up in the heart. Jesus is only interested in the truth. Satan's a liar, the father of lies. Matthew 12, 35, this is our text, so we're moving along in our text. Matthew 12, 35 says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. Again, this all connects, doesn't it? What's in him, what's stored, what's, what's there, what's hanging about, what's being kept inside of his heart. A good man, who's got good stuff there, brings, brings out good stuff. And an evil man brings out evil. Okay, next one. Again, Jesus already told us in the Sermon on the Mount um, that, about this fruit and how fruit can, can help us to, to, to know certain things about people. Specifically, he, earlier he talked about the so-called spokespeople of God, the false prophets, or the false teachers. It's in Matthew 7, 15 to 20, watch out for them. Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do not, or do people pick Grapes from thorn bushes? No, you don't get grapes from thorn bushes. You get, you get a pokey finger if you do. Or figs from thistles? No, again, you get pokey fingers. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Very similar to what we're learning just now. So I just want to read that just to confirm it. You know, he, he, Jesus liked this illustration. He liked his principle, you know. Uh, so again, I think in our culture, we got the idea of don't look at me, don't judge me, you know, don't, don't correct me. But the Bible talks differently. We need to be wise. Because um, uh, here he's talking about also keeping company. Like, for instance, the false prophets. Who are you learning from? Um, so yeah, Matthew 12 and 37 or 36 and 37, moving on our text. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. Interesting. At first when I thought this, I thought, wait, are you condemned for saying empty words? And the word empty, by the way, um, in the Greek is, is argos, which is where we get the store, argos. I think, I, I mean, because think about it. The word Argus in the Greek means free from labor at leisure. And you think about it, you walk in Argus, you look at the catalog, you give them the number, you pay for it, and you wait, and they pick it for you. So maybe that's where it came from. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. 
But Argos, free from labor at leisure. So what he's saying here is this. You're at work, you're at church, you're, 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 you got your nice clothes on, you're, 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 you're practicing self-control, okay? And you're going, you're going to say and do the right things. Unless you're like me, then you're always daft. But then when you are with your mates, or you're with your family, and you're letting your hair out, maybe you have a little bit of drink, and you're just kind of letting, you know, that's one thing about drink, it actually makes you kind of, it, it, it kind of amplifies your personality, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so you start maybe talking a bit, mm, whatever. That's what he's talking about here, okay? Every empty word. It's the words at leisure, when you're kicking back, when you're just chilled out, when you don't have to try to be upright. And then there's two different kinds of things that these words do for us, negative things and positive things. For your, by your words, you will be acquitted, acquitted, the word uh, dekayo, to show, exhibit, evidence, uh, evince one of to be righteous, such as he is and wishes himself to be considered. I like that. It's like, this is what I want to be. I want to do good. I want to do right. So your words actually will say, I, I like righteousness. I like goodness. I like speaking about the Lord. I like speaking about good and wholesome things. Even when I'm chilled out. Even I'm having a glass of wine, oh, I just want to glorify God. That's your leisure words, your kickback words, okay? But also you have other words that, again, to give judgment against one, to pronounce guilty. I don't like that. I don't want my words to, to announce my guilt. <laughs> I don't want my words to give judgment against me. But, again, that's what's happening how do we remedy this then? How do we remedy this? Because this is a problem, isn't it? Well, it could be a problem. I, I think it could be a problem for some of us, probably most of us, if not all of us. And here's the bottom line. Here's where we start to apply it and, and start to find some solutions to these issues at hand. First, I think we should check our hearts because that's what Jesus said, right? It isn't just about fruit. If you look at a fruit tree and you say, well, that's bad fruit. Let's change the fruit. How do you change the fruit? You fix the tree. You fix the heart. How do you fix a tree? I don't know how to fix trees. So go talk to somebody who knows how to fix trees. How do you fix a heart? Again, I don't know. Maybe God. Go to God on your, on your knees if possible, if necessary. Oops. Check your heart. Observe what you say and do. Is it glorifying to God? Okay, here's some, here's some advice. If not, maybe we need to discipline ourselves, like Paul did. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So him, he's speaking, he's speaking from a preaching perspective, you know, like from a person who gives messages. And in a sense, we all have a message to give. So I think this applies to all of us. Sorry. But he goes like, but if I'm on display, if I'm saying things, but yet... I'm looking a little bit like a hypocrite. I don't want that. I don't want that for myself. I want to fix that. So what do I do? I'm like a, I want to act like a, an athlete and, and train myself. Remember, blasphemy of the Spirit is basically rejecting or denying God's active presence in and around your life. Remember here for this instance, he's like, God's speaking to you and you're ignoring it. Blasphemy of the Spirit will not be forgiven. But maybe God's trying something in our lives here and now today. Do we want to reject that? Absolutely not. We don't want to reject it. 
He's active in our life. He's present. Again, Christians are theists, which means we believe in God who interacts with our lives and our world. We're not deists who believe that God started, which is a form of atheism in my opinion, that God started the world process but then is hiding out in the middle of space somewhere. No, we're theists. He interacts with us. But without God's help, without the Spirit, you can't do anything. Without the Spirit, there's only flesh attempts. That's what I'm saying. If you try to change a fruit without changing the heart, we got problems. But how do you get to the heart? I don't know how to get to the root of a tree to fix it. How do you get to the heart of a man? Through the Spirit. Galatians 3, 3, and also in Galatians 5, 7, 16, 17, I'm gonna go from one to the other, okay? It says this, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, you're not trying to finish or perfect yourselves by means of the flesh? So no, it's not just by changing the fruit, the words, the actions. Okay, I won't say that no more. Sorry. That's not enough. We need to change the heart. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Wow. They actually fight each other, the flesh and the Spirit. They want different things. They have different desires. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Um, next slide, which I believe is the last slide. I'm going to get in trouble if it's not. It is. The fruits are, and we've done this before, so I don't even have to read through it. We've seen it, so glance at the board, if you will. Again, this is still in Galatians 5. And, and, and Paul describes the, the, the acts of the flesh as being obvious. You try so hard, but you fail. And so maybe issues of sexual immorality come about. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Urgh. selfish ambitions. Uh, look at me, look at me. Dissensions, people not getting along. Factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Hmm. It's pretty gross stuff. This is what happens when you try to fix it in the flesh, when you try to perfect in the flesh and you get rotten fruit down there. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that these things, or those who live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those who inherit the kingdom of God are gonna be people who know how to discipline themselves by surrendering themselves to the Spirit of God. Because Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's so simple, so beautiful, so straightforward. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And to conclude it, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So you live by it, keep walking. Keep doing it. Just keep going. No excuses. Don't stop. Just keep doing it. Let us not become conceited either or provoking and envying each other. I like that. But you need to practice the fruits of the Spirit. But don't turn around and start being harsh and legalistic on other people. Just check yourself. Keep an eye on yourself. And if somebody needs some help, go help them. Encourage them. Be with them. Be friends with them. Continue to give them love, joy, forbearance, all these things you need to be spiritual. But don't hold, ever hold it against them. Don't hold, hold it over them. Don't become proud or conceited by your spirituality because it's kind of contradictory. You know what I'm saying? 